0: So I'm going to be talking from a famous scripture you all know, Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. I'll just backtrack and say, you know, two weeks ago, we're talking about deliverance, talking about uh, 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 personal deliverance and warfare in a certain dimension. And, you know, we kind of were just touching on some things on the surface. And it was great to hear even testimonies from that. Now you need to hear me loud and clear. It's one thing to get delivered, it's another thing to stay delivered. (laughs) Many people get delivered in a moment, but end up going back to the chains that once bound them because the lifestyle has not changed, the thought patterns haven't changed. Repentance is not just about changing your direction. Repentance is about changing the way you think. Because if you change your direction, and you don't change the way you think, you would eventually turn back to the direction you were originally set in because your thought patterns haven't changed. So deliverance is about not just, in fact, deliverance is often not just an event, it's a process. But having said that, uh, it's one thing to get free, it's another thing to stay free. And I'm saying to you from per- a person that has been bound by addictions and come out of that, and I've seen myself free by God's grace for years and years on end, I know the fact that God set me free does not mean I cannot by my own will choose to go back and engage with those things that I was set free from. But I choose to stay free and there is no such thing as a vacuum in the spirit realm. You can't kick the enemy out and do nothing. And just expect you just carry on with the rest of your life. Something else is gonna come and fill that space he was wanting. And if you don't fill that space with godly activities and you don't fill that space with God, eventually, like Jesus says, it's gonna come back seven times worse. So it can be a very dangerous thing to go for deliverance, even pray for yourself without really seeking that, you know, uh, to to fill the space of your life that used to be occupied by whatever, with the presence of God, with seeking God, with other things that really uh, uh, welcome the, you know, the holiness of God into your life. So today I want to kind of touch on some of that uh, from this verse, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. Actually, the Amplified Version says, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. Oftentimes, we ask and we stop. We, we, We seek and we stop. We knock and we stop. And we don't realize a lot of things in the kingdom come with consistency and persistence. And I want to encourage you, don't give up because it hasn't happened when you prayed. Like there are people that say, oh yeah, I prayed for God to fill me with the Spirit. I wanted to be able to pray in tongues. I prayed and I had people pray for me and nothing happened. So I guess God doesn't want it to happen. No! There are lots of things that God wants to happen that doesn't happen. The fact that it doesn't happen does not mean God does not want it to happen. Okay, remember the story of the guy that um, Jesus had to cast out the devil from because the disciples couldn't cast out the devil from? They brought that guy to the disciples, and the disciples had been anointed of God to cast out devils. They prayed for this guy, and the deliverance didn't happen. For us today, our theology will go, well, I guess God did not want it to happen. Well... That's not the case. The fact that the guy didn't get delivered did not mean God didn't want it to happen. They brought the guy to Jesus and Jesus cast the devil out. Could there be situations in your life where you are like the disciples, you've prayed and it's not happened and you've accepted that God doesn't want it to happen, when actually God wanted it to happen, but you just gave up. Gave up too easy. Another thing to remember is the disciples, when they asked Jesus, why didn't they come out? Jesus said, you know, he talked about unbelieving generation, and then he said, this one comes out only by prayer and fasting. We all know that. Now, what tends to happen oftentimes in the West is, well, not actually in the West, just generally, I found this even with people like us, praying and fasting people. If we've been going through a situation, we've prayed, and we've not seen much of a breakthrough, um, Say, okay, well, we're just going to fast, then. We're just going to fast and, you know, do that. Now, I don't think fasting is just like, you know, the magic uh, key that just sorts things out. The disciples, when they couldn't cast out the devil, they didn't just go and fast. You know what they did? They went to Jesus. And they asked Jesus some honest questions. I prayed. I did what I thought you said I should do. And nothing happened. And then Jesus says, fast. So the fasting should be a response to what he's revealing to us, not just be a default as a, okay, this doesn't work, I'm just going to fast. This is why I'm just going to do this, because that's what everyone does. How about you go to Jesus and say, Lord, I've been praying for this thing for two years. I've been praying for this thing for two months, and I'm not seeing much of a shift. Lord, can you show me what's happening? Because questioning God is not bad. If you question from a place of trust, you end up in revelation. But if you question from a place of offense, you end up in a place of unbelief. And you end up in that downward spiral and you get more annoyed with God. So it's not wrong to question, it's just about questioning and asking questions from a place of really trusting God. And waiting, like Luke shared in his testimony, saying, God, I'm here. And sometimes the way God answers is not always the way you expect. So be very open to that. So here, we have a picture of different dimensions of prayer we have the asking realm, we have the seeking realm, and we have the knocking realm. I wanna relate this to a very interesting picture we have in the Old Testament of the tabernacle of David or tabernacle of Moses, you know, you know, the temple basically. In the temple, you have three realms in the temple. You have the outer court, you have the holy of holies, and then you have, sorry, you have the outer court, you have the holy place, And then you have the Holy of Holies, okay? So, the asking realm is dealing with the outer court. There's nothing wrong with asking. There's nothing wrong with petitioning, because really, asking is about petitioning heaven. And saying, Lord, we're asking for this. Lord, we want you to move in this situation. Nothing's wrong with that. But for many Christians, our whole prayer life is lived in the outer court, and all we do is just ask. And all we do is just say, Lord, I need this money. Lord, I need a husband. Lord, I need a house. Lord, I need some money. Lord, I need some shoes. Lord, I need some clothes. Lord, I need an iPad. Lord, I need an iPad. Uh, whatever. You know. So, most Christians, their whole prayer life is lived in the outer of God. And then they end up saying things like this. You know what? Prayer is boring. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's going to be boring after a while. <laughs> if... We're friends, and all I do is come to you to just ask, ask, ask every time. Ask, ask, ask. That, that relationship is I'm, its like I'm a parasite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just using you to reach my own end. Now, thank God he's a heavenly father that has a bigger heart than all of us in this room. So he is just happy that you're talking to him. <laughs> but he's like, I need to move out of... You're spiritual diapers now. <laughs> <laughs> you're just asking me, 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 me. Because like, okay, you're now a spiritual teenager. Act like it. L- let's have some conversation beyond me. Beyond me as in just you. Let- let's talk about other things, okay? And you're still there. Just me. Most Christians in the church just live in the asking realm. You know, the asking realm uh, in the outer core, there are two things in the outer core. You have the, the bronze altar, and you have the, the, uh, the, 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 the bronze laver. The bronze altar and the bronze laver. The bronze altar, the, the priests uh, would have to sacrifice blood on the bronze altar. And the bronze laver is to deal with the washing, is to deal with the purification. So the bronze altar is to do with blood. The bronze laver is to do with water. Okay, so this is this is giving us a picture on how we access the presence of God. We come from the outer court into the inner court, into the Holy of Holies. The blood being spilt on the bronze altar talks about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We approach him because of the cross and through the cross and by the power that's made available of, uh, uh, in the cross. If Jesus did not die on the cross, we are not able to have access to the presence of God. So the, the bronze altar speaks of God's judgment on sin and we have to come into God's presence as a people that God has judged sin in our lives. We're coming because of what Jesus has done on the cross and we apply the blood. I talked earlier about the blood of Jesus. So the bronze liver, sorry, the bronze altar and then the next thing is the bronze laver. The bronze laver speaks about purification speaks about holiness, because it's the water washing the dirt away. Now, there is a difference between righteousness and holiness, in my view. I think righteousness, and I see in Scripture, is often portrayed in the New Testament as a gift that God gives believers. Second Corinthians, I believe, says... uh, he who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are made righteous as we come through the cross. As we ask the Lord for forgiveness, we repent, we turn from our sins. We are like, he puts on a robe of righteousness on us, so to speak. But the Bible doesn't say be righteous in the New Testament. It says be holy because I am holy. It, it's a command. He's expecting us to live out holiness. Now, the righteousness, in a sense, I can I can liken it to the bro the bronze altar where we we have come through the cross and Jesus has forgiven us of our sins and we've been put, what's been put on us is a robe of righteousness. We move to the bronze laver. That's to do with our acts and our uh, 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 our walking in holiness and purity. Righteousness is like a white gown you've been given, and holiness is how you take how you take care of it. When you're wearing white, you're careful what you do. You're careful about what you sit on. You're careful about who is just putting the hand on you, because you're conscious about what you're carrying. Okay, so you don't just do anything. So you are made righteous to live holy. So holiness is a response to the gift of righteousness you've been given. Holiness is not about rules and regulations. And yes, in holiness, there are things that you choose not to do. But it's not about what you're not doing. It's not about the rules and the regulations. What's informing what you're not doing is your righteousness, your relationship with God. That relationship is now determining what is okay in your life. It's It's not that the pastor says, don't do A, B, C, D. Because you're in a relationship with God and with the Holy Spirit, you know these things are going to grieve the Spirit. And you value that relationship so much that you don't want to grieve the Spirit. So you're not going to do ABCD. Are you with me? In the same way, there's a difference between morality and holiness. There are lots of unbelievers that are very moral. And lots of Christians that are very immoral. (laughs) You can be a Christian that is, you know, you've proclaimed salvation, you you know, you're you're saying Jesus loves you and, you know, you're in the church, uh, but you're not really living holy and you can end up living an immoral life. When you live holy, you end up being moral. But you can be moral and not holy. Because morality is based on your activity. Holiness is based on his activity. Holiness is because I am living out of my relationship with him. Therefore, I am separating myself from certain things. Morality is, well, I'm just choosing not to do these things because that's just the way I've been brought up. Or that's just the way our society is. And I know these things are not okay. So I'm going to stay away from that. It's based on just what you know in your activity. What's informing that is not your relationship with, with God. Are you with me? Okay. So you have the outer court and you have the bronze altar, And in this realm, most Christians live. But this is a very important realm because the Bible says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And I'm finding that I can't really go deep in prayer when I am carrying all my cares on my shoulders. Some of you are not able to go further in prayer because You don't know how to cast your cares on God. So the asking realm is a good realm to start. We just can't remain there. You cannot worship and worry at the same time. Try it. It doesn't work. (laughs) You're either worrying or worshipping. So if you're really going to worship, worry cannot exist anymore. And you have to get to a place where you're able to cast all your cares upon God. One of the reasons why many of us struggle in prayer is we don't really cast our cares on God. So, you're not going to go deeper into the Holy of Holies and prayer in deep places if you don't learn how to get rid of your cares in the outer courts get rid of your anxieties in the outer court. While you're in the outer court, you say, Father, I'm putting these burdens before you. Yes, I need a job. I'm so desperate. Lord, I've been praying. and Lord, I'm just going to cast this upon you right now. And once you've done that, you can move on. You don't go back to it. You just move on to the next stage. Okay? But most Christians just stay there. And stay there. And then we wonder why prayer is not exciting. Because we're not moving. We're just staying in the outer court. So, we need to learn how to cast our cares on God. And it says, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our mind. I'm telling you, it's effort to do that. You have to shift your mind to a place of utter dependence on God. Lord, you know me. You know everything about my life. You know, you might be in here, you might be playing, oh Lord, I need 500 pounds. And actually, God knows what you need is 652 pounds 60 pence but you're praying what you think you need from your understanding. And God in his infinite knowledge knows exactly. So sometimes you can pray requests, but your request is incorrect. But God makes up for your incorrectness. My point is, God knows the number of hairs on your head. How many of you have counted number of hairs on your head? (laughs) In fact, who has the time to do such a thing? If you don't have the time to do such a thing as count the number of hairs on your head, and you think it's a waste of time, and God bothers Himself to know the number of hairs on your head, why would He not be concerned about the things that bother you? If He's bothered about things you're not bothered about, what makes you think? Are are you hearing me? He's, He's concerned about what You're not concerned about the number of hairs on your head. Why would He not be concerned about your bills? Why would He be concerned about your health? Why would He not be concerned about your relationship? Are you with me? Let's put this in perspective. So when we come before him, we have to be confident that we can actually cast our cares on him and know that he has it. So before I came here today, I loaded the washing machine and as I loaded the washing machine, the clothes on the washing machine, and that's it off my mind, is gonna be washed. I'm not thinking over and over, oh, I hope those clothes get washed. <laughs> oh, I hope the washing machine works. Oh, I, I've put it in there and it's off my mind. I've dumped all my dirty washing with the washing machine because that's what the washing machine does. It takes care of it. In the same way, get all your cares and cast it on God because that's what he does best. He takes all your cares. That's what he does. Stop carrying it. We are not built to carry all these cares. And we need to get good at casting those cares on God. And all this is happening in the outer court. We move from the outer court, the asking realm, and move into the next realm, the seeking realm. The seeking realm in the in in the uh, holy place, the inner court is also called. You have three things. You have the table of showbread. You have the the golden lampstands. Uh, you know, you've probably seen the Jewish guys with the uh, you know those lamps that have got seven pins. You know, that's like the menorah. I think it's called. It's it's a lampstand. And then you have uh, the altar of incense. So those are like three items in the holy place. And they speak of another dimension of prayer. So when we step into the seeking realm, before I even go into these three things, I want to talk briefly on the concept of seeking God. Uh, 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 Psalms 27.4, David says, one thing I have desired of the Lord and that will I seek that I, one thing I've desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life, to do two things: to behold His beauty. Rob touched on this last week about the tent and beholding, gazing upon God and being changed. To behold His beauty and to inquire in His temple, and some translations say, and to seek Him in His temple. So, I remember reading this some years ago and thinking. David you're desiring one thing and that is to be with God, but you're desiring to be with God because you want to behold him and you also want to seek Him. Well if you are with God, why do you still need to seek Him? Because you are with him. so and then I'm realizing this that the more of God you encounter, the more of God you seek. And you know the Bible says that God is looking for worshipers. He didn't say God is looking for worship. He's looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Why is God looking for worshipers? Because worshipers are seekers. Okay? And you know in 2 Chronicles or in the Chronicles one of the the chapters in there, I forgot the reference. He says the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth and he's seeking people. He's seeking a certain type of person. So here you have God He's a seeker. And he's looking on the earth, trying to find seekers. Because when God finds a seeker, he sees a reflection of himself. He is a seeker. He's the one that, that, that seeks after the lost. He's the one that's desiring to find somebody that just has a heart to seek him because he has a heart to seek us. So he's, he's looking for someone that's reflecting his same desire back to him because when that happens, there's a connection of hearts. When if you're a parent, you like to see your children act like you, especially if they're good behaviors. <laughs> You like to see your children do good things that remind you of just good traits in yourself. So there's something about God that he likes to see his nature in us. He is a seeker, so he wants us to be seekers. And he says he rewards those who diligently seek him. Many Christians have not moved from asking to seeking. Because when you come to the place of seeking, now it's no more about you. Asking in the outer court is all about your needs now. Me, Lord, help me. Lord, bless me. Lord, do this in my life. But when you step into the seeking realm, it's not about his hands. Now it's about his face. You can't just be going after the hands of God. Bless me, bless me, bless me. And and this is the thing. When you catch the face of God and you seek the face of God, you cannot miss his mouth. If you seek his face, you're going to catch his mouth. In other words, he's he's not going to have to be shouting to get through to you. Like the lady was sharing testimony about the inner voice, the gentle voice of the Holy Spirit. When you step into a place of choosing to be a seeker... It's easy, to, easier to discern the voice of God, the heart of God, because you're already seeking him. You're not seeking what he can do for you. You're just seeking him. And you're like, God, I've got to have you. God, I've got to know you. And many times you find that people who are really seeking God, a bulk of their prayer life is in this realm. For many people, a bulk of their prayer life is in the asking realm. I want to challenge you. Do... Uh, uh, do just, just have a cross check, have a look through your prayer life. As it's been in the last few months, maybe the last three months. What has been the bulk of the content of your prayer life? Is it been based in the asking realm? Or has it been based in the seeking realm? God wants us to not just remain in the outer court. He wants us to go deeper. Now, in the inner court, you have three things. You have the table of showbread. This is the word of God. The word of God, it tells us in Hebrews, is a double-edged sword. The word of God is a weapon. But the word of God is also food for our spirit. So in the place of seeking God and going after God, that heart to seek God should lead us to a place of wanting to find God in the word. Read the word. Meditate the word. Memorize the word. Pray the word, sing the word. Get in the word. Now, at this point, I'm going to challenge you all. We, when we did Nazareth School this time last year, I released a challenge about reading so many chapters of the Bible um, a day. And uh, I, I, I first, I came across this story from a, a, a Ugandan uh, preacher, um, amazing guy, whom after, since then, I got to talk to over the phone, amazing guy and amazing testimony, He was high up in the occult. He was very involved in the occult, like, I mean, his testimony would just shake you to your core. This guy, he was was involved in that realm really deep. Like, in terms of over the nation of Uganda and some of the nations in that part of Africa, he was one of the highest ranking witches in the spirit. You know, and um, he 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 killed a lot of people, did a lot of horrible things. Anyway, he had a glorious salvation. God radically saved him, supernaturally. It was just an incredible salvation story. Sometime after he gets saved, he has cancer. And uh, the cancer is so bad. I forgot what type of cancer it was. But it was basically, he was basically, he was rotting away. So um, he says he was in 24-7 pain all the pores on his skin turn to pus. So he's just in agony. He's just skin and bone, and he's just rotting away. And uh, the doctors don't have any cure. So they say to his mom, you know, there's nothing we can do, and we need more space in the hospital. So I think you should take him home and just bury, you know, prepare for him to die because he's going to die anyway. So, you know, there's nothing we can do. So he is, everyone is waiting for him to die, and he's not dying. God speaks to a woman somewhere and tells this woman to go to his hospital room. Now, he stunk so bad, she couldn't even step in the room. God told her to read the Bible to him. Read 25 chapters of the Bible every day. Did you hear what I said? (laughs) Some chapters in this Bible are very long. <laughs> I mean, I've tried that. So Even Genesis, there's some incredibly long chapters. God told this lady to read out loud 25 chapters of the Bible a day. Do you know how long she did that for? Seven months. Seven months comes... And everyone is wondering, why is he not dying? He's lying there, skin and bone. You know who walks into his room, eyes open? Jesus walks into his, his, his room, his sick room, and Jesus looks at him and says, I'm healing you now. Instantly healed. Jumps out, starts running around naked. Naked. <laughs> so everyone's like he's crazy but he's like i'm healed it's like put some clothes on (laughs) but radical deliverance and then you know what he says about the word he says you know he says in psalms he sends his word and it healeth them listen there is healing In the words that you're seeing in this book right here, black and white. When you speak it out in faith, there is healing virtue in the word. So this guy said, since he got healed, the Lord challenged him to keep reading 25 chapters of the Bible every day. So I was like, oh Lord. (laughs) So, So this time last year, I was challenging the Nazarite school. I was like, guys, I want to put us on a word challenge to... To, to, uh, to begin to read so many chapters of the Bible a day as a way of feeding our spirit like we've never fed our spirit before. Not in a legalistic way, and if you don't manage to do it, it's fine. But set yourself a goal. Lord, I want to read so many chapters. Not because I want to just go, yeah, check me out. But I just want to get more of your word in me. And I'm, I'm like, I wonder what would happen if I did this for a whole year. What would happen to me? Okay, so I started reading 10 chapters of the Bible a day, and I, I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set myself a goal. Read 10 chapters a day. And uh, I said, you know, if you read, I don't know if it's 10 chapters a day, you're going to read the Bible through three times in a year. If you read 10 chapters a day, you're going to read the Bible through. So I did the first time, read the Bible through the first time round, and I was like, oh, that's amazing. So I started again. This, uh, uh, sometime this year, I started again. But I wasn't as consistent with my 10 chapters. I read two here, three here, and you know, I kept going. Anyway, the point is, today, um, since the last time we did the Nazarite, we started the challenge. I've read my Bible through three times. Today was the time. Just, I just read Revelations, the last chapter of Revelations before I came to this meeting. So I finished reading the last chapter of Revelations. Oh, thank you, Lord. Amazing. Now we're starting back again from Genesis. Why am I sharing this? Because I want to challenge you on your spiritual diet. You remember what I said? It's one thing to get free. It's another thing to stay free. If you want to stay delivered, stay on fire, and stay strong, one of the things you need to do is move from the asking realm into the seeking realm. And in the seeking realm is the showbread, who represents the Word of God. You need to get as much of the Word of God in you as possible. Now you may go 10 chapters is a lot, but you may be able to do five chapters. You may be able to do three chapters. The point is, it don't even matter what the chapters are. The point is you're setting yourself a goal to feed yourself the word of God. and listen to me, if you hit 80 percent of a target, it's still better than hitting 100 percent of zero target. Because most Christians have no target., you know, oh, I just go to church, hear a nice message, you know and listen to some nice Christian music. But they're not, they're not standing in the word. So right now, I've read the Bible through five times. And I'm going on my sixth time right now. So I, wanna, I want you to join me in this challenge. Let's get as much of the word in us. While I'm talking about the Bible, I want to emphasize, I want to highlight to you a book I read I would highly recommend. Heavenly Man. Anyone read The Heavenly Man here? It will change your life. It's about Chinese Christian. And uh, how God really impacted it. I didn't actually read it. One of the things I'll say is, if you're not great at reading, just get audio books. Audible, great place. I get lots of audio books there, and I read through that as I drive and stuff. um, The first few parts of this book, he talks about how his family got saved, and no one had ever seen a Bible. So he got saved, and he was so hungry for the Bible. And his mom told him about a preacher in a, someone in another village that she knew that owned a Bible. So she and him went to this guy and said, "Please, we just want to see your Bible." You know, and he's like, "No, I'm not going to show you my Bible. If you want a Bible, you need to pray to God. He's going to give you a Bible." So he went on every day for a month. "God, give me a Bible. God, give me a Bible." Didn't get a Bible. So he went back to the guy He says, "I've been praying for a month. I didn't get a Bible." He says, well, okay, if you really want a Bible, you're not just going to pray. You're going to pray with crying, and you need to fast as well. So went back home, he decided not to eat morning and afternoon, only at a tiny bit in the evening. Every day, he's crying out to go for a Bible. You know how long he's there for? A hundred days fasting like that. Wow. Crying out to God, God, give me a Bible, God, give me a Bible. On the hundredth day or so, he has, he has a dream, a vision. In his vision, someone brings bread and the person, two people bring bread to him, and uh, as he puts the bread in his mouth, the bread turns to the Bible. He thinks the vision was, so, was real, that when he came back to himself, he was looking all around his house for the Bible, and realized it was a vision. He got so disappointed, he was just wailing and crying. Like, God! <laughs> and his parents woke up, they're like, God, give him a Bible! <laughs> as they're crying out to God, they heard a knock on the door. The two people he saw in his vision, where the people knocking his door, and he said, did you bring the bread for me? They said, yeah, we brought the bread for you. And right there and there, there was his Bible. Wow. Wow. When he saw his Bible, he was like, God, I am going to eat this book, I'm going to read this book. And you know what he started to do? He started to memorize the Bible. He memorized the whole of Matthew. The whole book of Matthew, he memorized it. So some other people in another village heard about this guy who prayed, because no one has the Bible. They heard about this guy who became a Christian and prayed so hard, God gave him a Bible. So they like, they invited him to their village to come and share his story of how he got a Bible. So he's never preached before. He's never, he doesn't even know what preaching or teaching is. He doesn't know what to do. So when he got there, you know what he did? He just recited the whole of Matthew he'd memorized. You know what happened? Breakthrough, deliverance, salvation, God moving. It's like, it's like, oh, that, that was the start of his ministry. And you know, he was put in prison several times. You know what kept him going? Because he got the Bible memorized. You need to understand how some people are desperate for this Bible in other parts of the world. And you've got five Bibles in your house and you don't read it. You've got, you've got all the translations on your phone and you're more on Facebook and Instagram. And there's some people who are dying just to have the Bible in their language. And you have the Bible, you're not reading it. I'm telling you, it's time for us to get in the Word. Time to get in the Word. And even as I'm saying that to you, I challenged myself like, Lord, I want to get in the Word. I want to not just read the Bible, I want to begin to memorize the Bible more. You know, I don't know if I'm able to memorize books like they did, but maybe a verse here, a verse there, just get into my system more and more. And then the process of meditation often leads to memorizing because the more you meditate, it sticks, it sticks, and you can easily remember it and quote it because it's coming out of you, you know, and this is what helps in warfare. When you have the Word in you, when you're praying, you know what comes out? The Word comes out of you. You you don't just pray your, oh yeah, God, uh, fancy pictures, and, you know, I remember someone saying, you know, we need to stop prophesying from movies, not that it's wrong because God speaks through the arts. However, some people don't know the Bible so much that when God speaks to them, the first thing they can relate to is a movie. How about you find the scriptures that actually connect what God is showing you, that you can communicate through Bible, not Hollywood. Hello? Hello? <laughs> It's so, like, oh, I just see this picture, blah, blah, blah. How about, I see this picture, and Isaiah this says this, and John 5 says this. And you, you can find the scriptures that actually communicate what God is showing. Because I'm telling you, we need to be a people that know the word of God. Oftentimes, some prayer people are just floating out there in the clouds, but actually not rooted in the scriptures. So you end up in weird revelations all around this place. and you're all kind, It's like, well, you need to get in the word, because if it's not in the word, it's probably not from God. So you have to be, we have to be a people of the word. I was going to spend a lot of time on that because that's one of my favorite parts anyway. So you have the showbread and then you have the lampstand, the Holy Spirit, who represents the illumination, the revelation of the Holy Spirit. As I was thinking about this, um, I felt like one of the things that 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 whole uh, area of um, the lampstand can represent in the terms of our spiritual devotion, I think, is a place of worship. You have the word, and you have a place of worship. And we engage with the presence of God in the place of worship. Worship is a dimension of prayer. They're all part of the same thing. In worship, we agree with who God says he is. In prayer, we agree with what he wants to do. Either way, it's a form of agreement. Um, And I think most of us would find it easy to spend time in worshiping God. Do you realize that that's such a significant part of engaging the presence of God and seeking Him? The problem with worship sometimes is a lot of our worship songs are not often focused on God. They're focused on the asking realm still. The fact that there's music to it does not mean it's worshiping God. It could be just in that realm where you're just focusing on you, you, me, me, me. Because real worship has nothing to do with you, it's always Him. It's it's vertical. It's focused on Him. And a lot of the songs that come in these days in the church oftentimes are very self-centered. It's like we're idolizing ourselves so much. And it's all about me and all about me. And I'm saying God wants us to step into a place of worship that is focused on Him. Throne room worship. Listen, there are lots of worship songs we're singing on the earth that will not make it into heaven. (laughs) When we get to heaven, I wonder what kind of worship songs we'll be singing. Sometimes, I don't think it will be... In fact, I don't think it's going to be some of the songs we sing on the earth. And I believe some of the best worship songs about Jesus are yet to be written. So we can receive downloads. Not so that we can have millions of views on YouTube and sell albums. But it might just be to sing the worship song to him in our prayer closet. And that's the only time we're ever going to sing it. And no one is ever going to hear it ever again. But it's actually our worship to the Lord. So... So you have the the illumination of the Holy Spirit, which I feel can be likened to the place of worship in devotional prayer. And then the next thing you step, after you do this, show bread, the Word of God, the place of worship, the next thing you step to is uh, the altar of incense, which represents the place of intercession. Real intercession comes from the outer court. Into the inner court. Real intercession has to be based on the Word, through the Spirit, and by the Spirit, from a place of purity. You know, one of the things we emphasize with the school is we can't come here and begin to cry to God for the souls out there if the areas of our lives that are in darkness, in sin, in oppression, we lose authority in intercession. When there is issues in our lives undealt with. So that's why we have to come out from that brazen altar, the old you know, everything on the altar God deal with all of that. When we come from all of that and we come to the place of intercession, our intercession would always pierce through the darkness, it would always break through. Because now we're not just interceding with our mind, even though yes, we do use our mind, we're interceding by the grace and the help of the Spirit of God. Because we've encountered the word and we've encountered the spirit in the place of worship. It's easier to intercede from that place than it is when your heart is not really engaging with God in those realms. Are you with me? Those things happen in the second realm. Before you step into the Holy of Holies, the last thing you encounter is the altar of incense. Only one person was allowed into the Holy of Holies and that's the high priest. And he was allowed in there once a year to atone for the sins of a whole nation. And when he went in there, apparently on the garments, there would be bells that would ring because if he went in there not right, he would die. And how they would know he's dead is no ringing of the bells. <laughs> so they just pull him out because they attach a rope to his leg. Just pull him out with the rope. So he, you can't get into the Holy of Holies without going through the altar of incense because listen you have to smell right you have to go through the incense you can't get that deep in God without smelling right (laughs) you you have to pick up an aroma that you can only get because you've been through the process and God is doing a work in you so when you step into his presence you will not be judged Okay, there's a message I preached that furnace, the last furnace. I don't have time to go into the depths of it, but the essence was the glory of God brings judgment. Yeah, the same glory that heals also judges and kills. And we, we say we want the glory, but we don't really know what we're praying for. And oftentimes God shields us from the thing we're asking for because it would destroy us if we had it right now. Because our lives are not ready to handle the weight of it. So we have to go through that altar of incense. Every true warrior of God has got to be an intercessor. Intercession is not just for some guys that have nothing else to do. I know I'm preaching to the choir here because you're here to pray. Oftentimes we think intercession is a gift. I have not seen anything as a gift of intercession in scripture. Now, there are people that carry grace in prayer In fact, I meet people that carry a certain grace in intercession in ways that that just baffle me because God gives them a heart to pray in certain ways for certain issues and certain things. I don't have those kind of, I don't have that heart, but I still intercede. I still pray for people. I still pray for things. I I bring before God the things that the Lord puts on my heart. Intercession is not self-focused. It's others-focused. Intercession, in intercession, we become The voice of man to God. And listen, when you become the voice of man to God, eventually you become the voice of God to man. Prophecy. In intercession, we engage with the heart of God. You know the greatest act of intercession on the planet? Jesus dying on the cross. He took on... He took on our sins upon him. That is, that is a form of intercession where you take on the burden. And people that uh, move in the gifts of healing and sometimes people that are very sensitive in the spirit, you can go into a place, you can meet someone, and all of a sudden you feel pain in your body. But you weren't actually feeling that pain before. You're stepping into an act of intercession because now you're feeling what they felt because God is calling you to do something about it. Or you've left your house feeling okay, fine, you had a great time praying. You stepped into your office and all of a sudden you just feel this thing, this atmosphere of heaviness or whatever. And you're like, oh, maybe I just feel horrible today. But there's nothing to be horrible you're feeling about. Well, you know what? You just stepped into a place that could be a potential place of intercession if you know what to do about what you're feeling. Because you're picking up on probably what someone else is feeling in that place, what's going on in the atmosphere in that place. And right then then you can be a voice of man to God and stand in the gap, bridge the gap right there. So we go through all this and then we step into the the place that I want to be more. (laughs) The Holy of Holies. Do you know what's in the Holy of Holies? Silence. Waiting on God. This type of prayer is rare. Rare. In our days. And I challenge you, try to spend some time to wait on God. You find, you realize how busy your mind is. Now, if I say, let's all pray right now. We're all going to pray. It's not that your mind isn't busy. It's just you've never been still enough to realize the busyness in your mind. So oftentimes, we get so busy on the outside, including good things. But we don't realize there's so much noise in here. So much noise in here. Actually, something else I didn't even say, I'll connect this with the altar of incense. It's praying in tongues. I'm not going to go into it so much. But what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to paint a picture of different uh, uh, expressions of prayer as it relates to the tabernacle. Are, are you tracking with me? So you've got the word, you've got worship. And now you've got praying in tongues, even with intercession. Because Romans 8 says, we don't know how we should pray as we ought to, but the Spirit makes groanings, makes intercession for us. uh, With groanings that are beyond what words can articulate, you know. So uh, praying in tongues oftentimes can step into that place of intercession. That's another powerful dimension of prayer uh, that I don't have time to go into right now. But we step through that and then we step into the uh, the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies, all you have is the Ark of God. And I believe the expression of prayer in this place is the prayer of just waiting. Doing nothing. Saying nothing. Just being still. This type of prayer is, I'm convinced, is the type of prayer that truly Opens up the realm of the spirit to us because it's this it's um what's the word it uh it, it, it begins to um do a work in our senses where our senses begin to be adjusted and aligned to begin to pick up the senses of God to begin to be more aligned with the heart of God, our spiritual. Eyes begin to be more opened. Now, waiting on God is one of the most difficult things to do in the flesh. Because it's, it's, the flesh hates waiting. And I'm not here today to preach on waiting on God. However, I'm going to read this scripture. And then we're going to go into some time to worship and seek God. I'm going to read this scripture in Exodus. Exodus 24. Um, Exodus 24 verse 9. Actually, there's a lot of verses to read here. I will just read from verse nine. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel. They saw the God of Israel. Listen, these guys saw God. That's incredible. <laughs> and um, And there was, under his feet, as it were, paved work of sapphire stone. And it was, it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and they drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you the tablets of stone and the law and the commandments, which I have written, that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant, Joshua and Moses went up to the mountain, to, went up to the mountain of God. Verse 14. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us while we come back to you. Indeed, Indeed, Heron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of God rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called out to Moses, out of the midst of the cloud, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud, went up into the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Incredible. So Moses has this incredible encounter with God. I love Moses because he is a, I just love how he walked with God. And uh, You know, I don't think there's anyone here that would not want to walk with God in this dimension. Moses was very close to God. You know, like, when you look across that generation of—I know it's getting late, just bear with me. When you look across that whole generation of Israelites and, you know, even the whole planet, in that generation, Moses was walking the closest with God. Question. When we look across Greater Manchester and the north of England— Who are the people walking the closest with God right now? Do you know God knows who they are? Oftentimes, they're not preachers. (laughs) Because preachers oftentimes can talk the talk. (laughs) I want to meet those people that walk in the closest with God. And I want to hear them talk about prayer. Because this Moses guy, he walked so closely with God, God spoke to him face to face. And Rob talked about this a bit last week. But what amazes me in this scripture, one of the things that amazes me, and this is going to blow your mind, is we think that God just showed up to Moses and just spoke to him like that. But look at this. Now, verse 16. Now the glory of God rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, God called Moses out. Moses was on the mountain in silence. Not for two hours. Not for four hours. Not for six hours. For six days. And here we are. God, you haven't spoken to me. God, I prayed. Lord, I waited. And he waited for two minutes, by the way. (laughs) Lord, I hear nothing. Well, have you waited on God in silence for six days? And just like, God, I'm just here to wait. And it feels boring. It feels like nothing is happening. It feels like God's not speaking. But Moses is just there, knowing that God is eventually going to call him. On the seventh day, God calls him. So oftentimes when I'm feeling a bit discouraged, I remind myself of this scripture. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, I haven't waited on you for six days yet. So I've got nothing to be complaining about. Because I admire Moses's walk with God. He walked with God the closest because he knew how to wait on God the most. God delayed and Moses waited on the mountain. God delayed, and the children of Israel built an idol. That's like most of us. God does not show up when we want, how he wants, and we just end up giving birth to an Ishmael, doing something in our own strength. Moses is like, okay, God, I've got nowhere to go. I've got nothing to do. I'm just going to stay right here. Do you know the amazing thing about this scripture? In the New Testament, there's some interesting things. I don't know why it's there, but it must be there for a reason. Because I've not even heard anyone talk about this. Look, it says in, Luke, in Mark 9:2, Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain. And that was the mountain where they had an encounter. And Moses showed up. Oh, Moses. And Elijah showed up on the same mountain. But listen, it says in the other Gospels as well. After six days, Jesus took them up. Why doesn't he tell us what they were doing? I wonder whether they were just waiting in those six days. Whether God was preparing them in those six days. Because they were about to have a significant encounter at the top. So if you want to walk with God in a deeper way, you need to cultivate your life of waiting on God. And oftentimes it feels like nothing is happening. But you have to remember, you have to go through the process, the outer court, Get rid of your burdens. You can't really wait if your mind is worrying about needs. Okay? So you have to get rid of those burdens on the outer court. The inner court. You need to be in a place where you're coming from a place of base. You're you're, you're soaked in the word of God. You're in a place of real heart posture of worship. You're seeking God. You're in a place of, you, you're going through that incense. You smell right. You're coming then to a place of, Lord, I am here to just be still and know. Are you with me? Some of the things I'm saying to you, some of the things I'm saying here to you today, I just had a revelation today about it. (laughs) Do you know when I got the revelation? As I was waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Because I've had all these pictures of different dimensions of prayer, asking, tongues, word, worship. Waiting, but I've not really—I've never really had a picture of how they all connect, and I feel like today God just gave me a picture of how they all connect with the tabernacle of Moses and the temple. And I feel like God was saying, "If you do these things, you will see me face to face, because that is the pathway to encounter." I'm telling you, it's not easy on the flesh. <laughs> God has to do a deep work in us, deep work in us, and then we can behold his glory and not be destroyed. Okay, so tonight I want to respond to this. Katie, do you want to come up? We're going to go into some time of uh, worship and prayer. Tonight, I want to respond to this. I know I'm the one preaching this. Before I came up to preach, I said, Lord, teach me through my preaching. <laughs> and he's definitely teaching me because I'm like, okay, Lord, I-, I want to respond to this in a fresh way. You see, I want you to understand that this is why this prayer school is not just like another school where you're coming to hear all this amazing revelation from the man of God that knows everything. I don't know anything apart from what God shows me. The point is, I am on the same journey like you are. I want to meet God in a fresh way. I want to encounter God in a fresh way. That is why I am part of this school. So I want you to join me in this pursuit of God. Because I know when we truly find God in a way we've never found him before, the world will be changed because we found God. Do you understand with me?